I'm going to ask before we begin if we just pause to pray together. Father, this is an incredible day and it's, it's really easy to get swept up into the, the celebration and the praise and all the incredible music and, and, and the, the grandeur of, of all that we celebrate on Easter. But God, I would pray in these few moments that you would allow your Holy Spirit to come and to speak to our hearts about some of the things that might be um, deeply ingrained in a way that God um, this week maybe has brought some things up or these months or or maybe there are some people today who are just coming today wondering, doubting, questioning, in pain, hurt. That God, you might speak to our hearts. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. Speak to me and speak to each and every one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We know Easter is in is a wonderful event. It's, it's really at the heart of it about some facts. It, it's about some basic truths, some realities, and, and, and really what you will do with it. Whether you actually believe them, and I don't mean just believe intellectually and think about it as a story, but I mean how you will respond to the truth of these facts. It reminds me of a story, and I'm not really sure it's true. I actually have my doubts about it. It was reported that this U of M athlete, maybe it was a St. Cloud State guy because he was not real bright. Um, <laughs> all you think. Ooh. Uh, anyway, um, but he sat next to an A student in one of his classes. And as you know, eligibility has always been an issue for student athletes. And he got a call from one of his professors on one day because... Um, he and the A student had actually gotten the same score on the final exam. And so this professor called him in and, and wanted to talk to him. And the professor said, you know, you and the A student both got 49 out of 50 questions correct. And, 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 the, and the athlete responded, yeah, it's just probably coincidence. And the professor continued, but you both missed the same question. You both missed only number 17. And a little defensively now, this student-athlete goes, yeah, but you know, it's more than likely just a coincidence. Well, finally, the professor says, but the A student said on problem 17, I don't know the answer. And on your paper, it reads, I don't know the answer either. (laughs) Might have happened, I don't know. You know how stories go. But isn't that our tendency often when we're confronted with certain facts or certain truths? And, and it can be that, you know, how we respond to them makes a huge difference in our life. And I want to share with you that these facts that we're going to look at in a moment around Easter have everything to do with your life today and your life in the future. Has everything to do with with your own world and in the world that you will influence and the world in the age to come. In fact, Easter is interesting because it's about some basic facts. It's it's about these women who stood before these brightly blazing angels. It's it's called like lightning. It was so bright that they actually bowed before them. And then the angel spoke to them and and, and said, uh, what are you doing Didn't you pay attention to the facts? Why in the world would you be looking for Christ 
who is alive among the dead. Don't you remember? He said that he had to be given over and, and into the hands of sinful man and that he'd be crucified. And then on the third day, he'd be raised. So go with what you know. Let your life be forever changed. Well, Peter, uh, Paul, it is in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, is writing to a group of people in a, in a town called Corinth. And, and, and he had come to them and he had shared these basic facts. And, and now after 15, you know, he goes about 14 chapters, a number of pages, he's, he's sharing his concerns about certain issues they raised. He finally gets to this one about the facts of the resurrection and the implication of what these facts should mean in their life. And he, he's really concerned. He says, now, brothers, I want to remind you, don't you remember of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand? It's by this gospel and the gospel meaning good news, basically some facts that have implications if you trust them and in, 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 in not just know them in your head, but actually grab hold of them with your heart. By this gospel, these facts and what you do with them, you're saved. It changes you. It, it heals you. It begins to work in every relationship in your life and into the next life. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you that I told you about. Otherwise, listen to this. What you've been believing is meaningless and vain. Paul stated the facts, the good news. And then he goes on and he says in verse 3, let me restate these again. And, and it's interesting because he says, For I, what I received I passed on to you, which is a very important kind of statement in Scripture. It's this idea of, of that he's faithfully been given something and he, he holds it like a treasure and he takes this treasure and he passes it on to other people so that they can grab hold of this treasure as well. And he says, I, I, what I received I, I've actually passed on to you. In fact, of first importance, it, it is of such vital priority that you hold on to this and understand it because of this truth and what it can mean for your life and then he then he shows with us what it is that christ died for our sins and then almost kind of parentheses according to the scriptures this wasn't just something made up it's according to what has been written that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Kind of gets rid of the whole, you know, kind of maybe a few people had some hallucinations or dreams or visions or something. This was a mass hallucination, possibly. 500 of them. In fact, he says at the same time. And if you really want to know about these facts, most of them are still living. You can check it out. Though some have fallen asleep, a euphemistic word for those who are believers because we don't believe that we will, this life is the end, but we actually fall asleep and are, in a sense, awakened into a next life. And he says those, some of them, a few of them have fallen asleep. You won't be able to talk to them. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me, says Paul, also as to one who is abnormally born. That's the essential message. That's the basic facts. Christ died intentionally. Christ was buried, Christ was raised, and Christ appeared. All this was according, he says, to God's word. From Genesis to the very last book, Malachi, every, every written word, the sacrifices, the law, the kingdom of God, all the different things you read about throughout each of these 
letters and these historical books and these books of poetry and these books of prophecy. All of them point to this essential truth, these basic facts that there was one who was planned to come anointed by God, Jesus. And this Jesus would live a perfect life. He would die. He would be buried. And on a third day, he'd be raised and a whole lot of people would see him. And the church celebrates this on Easter. Folks, this is what you come for. This is what it's all about. And without these facts being true, then all of it's meaningless. Or as Paul says a number of times, by this gospel you're saved. And if you hold firmly, grab hold of it with your heart and allow it to transform your very being. Otherwise, if you believe and, and don't really grasp these facts or these facts aren't true, then it's all in vain. It's all meaningless. So let's just talk about the facts of Easter. Let's get those straight. I said them very kind of quickly as the four facts that Paul presents here. But the facts weren't always ones that Paul himself actually believed. In fact, at one point, Paul did all he could to keep this truth and these facts from being told. Because he saw how, how life-changing they were. The message reads this way in verses 8 through 11 as Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus finally presented himself alive to me. It was fitting that I bring up the rear. I don't deserve to be included in that inner circle, as you well know. Having spent all those early years trying my best to stamp out God's church right out of existence. But because God was so gracious. Amazing grace, right? We sang it. Because he was so incredibly generous. Here I am, says Paul. And because of that incredible love and that grace of God due to these facts, he says, I'm not about to let his grace go to waste. Haven't I worked hard trying to do more than any others? And even then, my work didn't amount to all that much. Actually, it was God giving me the work to do in the first place and God giving me the energy actually to do it. So whether you heard it from me or from those others, it, it's all the same. We speak God's truth, the facts. And if you let those facts grab hold of your heart. If you don't make it just a kind of a Sunday Easter thing, but you make it a part of what your real life is in relationship to this God who loves you and, and, and all this stuff is really for you and for all this creation, if you allow this to grab hold of your heart, as he says, if, if these truths that we have from God that you've entrusted your life to, it will change the way you look at life and the way you live with God and the way you live with others. So what are these basic truths? This man called Jesus, he's alive. After having been publicly put to death by a crucifixion, the Roman soldiers actually nailed him to the cross and watched him till the life had gone from him. And then a responsible company of persons approved by the Roman governor, Pilate, headed by Joseph of Arimathea, took the body down from the cross and laid it in a tomb, after which the Roman authorities sealed the tomb and set a watch before it to make sure that the body would not be stolen by some misguided, zealous disciples. This last precaution was the brainchild of the priests and the Pharisees. And at the same time, it, it really seemed extremely wise to them, yet little did they know that when they were doing this, that it would really backfire on them for all the ages to come. 
The fact that the body was completely dead was made certain and that it wasn't stolen because they, they actually placed a Roman guard, which would be like our Marines today. They, they, they stationed this garrison around the tomb so no one could get to it. And then they allowed it for three days because in the ancient time, three days was all it was needed for that body to be fully dead and to begin to decompose. And so they, they put that there, confirming and establishing the fact that the body could not have gotten out of the tomb except by a miracle. In spite of the tomb and the watch and the seal, in spite of death itself, the man, Jesus, who had been pinned on a cross, placed in the tomb, and, and not left for dead again, but actually dead, walked out alive after three days, just like he said he would, and just as Scripture had prophesied. That is what Easter is all about. That simple historical fact attested by more than 500 trustworthy persons and among them being a man that some scholars, both Christian and secular, have said to be probably one of the mightiest intellects of all time. And that man was Saul, who as he followed Jesus later became known as Paul. And as a result of what had happened in his life, wrote these words and he said, I want to pass them on to you as he did to those in Corinth so that your life might be totally transformed. And this world around us that we live in can be transformed. So you might be thinking some 2,000 years from now, what does this mean for me? What does it mean for you that this man, Jesus, who had been, who had been put on a cross, who had died, who had been put in a grave, and now he's alive, what does it mean for you? What, what do these facts tell you? Well, the implications are, are found in a number of places in chapter 15, and I'm just going to share with you three of them today. And the first one is, is really simple. It says in, in verse 3, he said, I passed on to you about most important that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He died for sins. He died for the offense that we had caused before God himself, our own pride, our own arrogance, our own ignorance, our, our own impact that we have had and our own selfishness towards him and also towards other people. And he says, for a very reason, Jesus came. He didn't come just to live a good life and just to enjoy this life and somehow express that God is a good teacher or, or a loving person. But he died for sins. If you search every and any um, faith, major faith, you will find that only Jesus proclaims this truth. Only the Bible talks about the fact that there is a sin in our life, the selfishness that is a part of who we are, which we all experience, right? I'm sure, has any of them not been hurt by someone else here? That's usually called sin. It's really our selfishness. If you think about it for a second, that hurt that we've caused in a broken relationship with, with others is also the very same broken relationship with this holy God. And this holy God says that there must be some kind of payment. There must be something that has to happen. And most major religions, all religion really, is about doing. You do what you can to improve yourself. You try really hard to be your best in hopes that if you're good, your best will be good enough and God will accept it. And it's all based on a merit system that if you do this and you do that and you try really hard and you improve, eventually you'll get to a place that God will go, yeah, that's pretty good. And you're always wondering, well, is it good enough? And Jesus came to do what we couldn't do ourselves. Jesus took your sin, every act of rebellion, Every refusal to believe, every disobedient thought, every failing, every mistake, every minor misstep and every major violation. And he nailed it to a cross and he died on that cross for those sins. So that Isaiah 53 says this, surely he took up our infirmities years before Christ came. 
And surely Jesus, he carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we all have the opportunity to stand before God like a professor. And him saying to you, do you recognize your sin? Do you see your need of God? Do you see the fact that that what is... In your heart, this is not just some act of taking from a cookie jar. It's the disease that needs to be healed. It needs to be cured. It is something that needs salvation from. And I have provided. It's not about what you can do. Easter, this whole message is about what's been done for you. It's about what's been done for you. It's about accepting the fact and the truth of this is that we are forgiven. The first really vital implication of this whole message that that God loves you so much that he gave his only son that you might receive from him his life and in a relationship with him that has been restored because of what he has done so that you can know forgiveness and you can live in that forgiveness. You don't carry that guilt. You don't carry that shame around anymore. But you have been freed from that forever. And the facts are very clear if you believe it. Now, let me ask you a second. If you stand before God and and, and, and saying, Professor, you have something you can do with it. You can either deny it or you may be in a place this morning where you're saying, I am so hungry to hear this. I recognize I have blown this in my life. I have I have messed up in this area in my in my work or my finances. Just all, there's areas in my life that I go that I am so in debt. I am so in debt in the sense of my personal selfishness that I need someone to forgive me. And the resurrection is, is the fact that you've been forgiven. And just think about it for a second. If you, if you go into a store and you are, are going to purchase something and, and you go through and you go to the checkout counter and you pay for it and you're given a receipt, what do you do with that receipt? You walk around with it, holding on to it when you hold to the thing that you've purchased. And when someone comes up to you and maybe a policeman says, wait a second, have you stolen that? What do you do? You hold the receipt out. And say, no, paid for in full. Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross, chapter 19 in John, he says that he was on the cross and as he was breathing his last breath, this is what he said. It's paid for. It's complete. It's, in, in fact, in the Greek, it is finished. It's done. And with that, it says he, he bowed his head and gave up his breath. Now you have a choice. To allow this truth to change your life. By that, by receiving and accepting it and, and recognizing that what you have done and, what, and what, what, what has been a part of your life has now forever been forgiven. But there's more than that. It's not about putting you right with God. There's a fact also about this that I, that I love. It's not just about forgiveness and that you can walk in this forgiveness and know this forgiveness. And I just, I just I want to stop for a second. You may be at a place where just hearing what you've just heard right now, you're in your heart, you're going, you know, I want to receive that. I want that fact to make a difference. It is just so simple. It's, it's just a simple statement in your own heart where you just acknowledge that to God and you open your heart and you say, Jesus, I ask your forgiveness. I ask that you would come and I want to walk now from this day on without the guilt and without the shame. I want you because you told me this. This is the truth. I'm going to carry the receipt, this empty tomb forever will be my receipt that I have been forgiven, washed clean by the blood of Jesus. If you want that, it's just a simple expression of your heart and prayer to God. He knows your heart right now. 
But there's something else that's really cool about these facts. It's, it's not just about forgiveness. It's about the future as well. In fact, when you, when you read this passage of Scripture in chapter 15, verse 20, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The resurrection means that this life is not the end. Not just for Jesus, because it goes on and says, The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, how many of you are preparing gardens, right? How many maybe even have like some, is it crocuses are the first ones that come up, right? If you see one and a bunch of others, do you think there'll be more? It's really just a first fruit. If you have a tomato plant, you put that tomato plant out there, and you see one tomato, what do you think? Usually you think I planted way too many tomatoes. I don't know what I'm going to do with all of them, right? That's, it's just a first fruit when you see it. And in Jesus, it's just a first fruit. Here's the fact, the truth, that Jesus himself, God in flesh, comes. He dies on the cross to give us forgiveness and then also to guarantee for us a future forever that we will not have this life as an end. And when you live that way and understand that, know that it changes everything. It should change everything. Because he goes on and he says, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And guess, guess which is the last enemy that he put on his, under his feet? It was, he destroyed death, verse 26 of chapter 15. So you do not need to live in fear of death. Because God has provided a payment, he has forgiven you, you are made right with him, so that you can begin to forgive others and share that love and forgiveness with other people. So you can be right now not only with God, but with other people. And as you live this life, you can know that forever and for the, into the future, you have life with God. Now that should change everything in the way you live. Because life isn't the end. All this talk about reincarnation that we, we, we hear and all these eternal cycles of living forever, just tire me out. The whole, it's, all, it's all proposed in the sense that what you have to do is you have to keep being born again into another life and, and every time you pay for this karma so that eventually you'll pay, you've done enough. It's all the works merit stuff. And the Bible never teaches it. Jesus doesn't teach it. He says that you live for a life, there's a judgment, and if you face this God and have, have, have heard the, and, and, and you've held the, those facts in your heart and you've received forgiveness, you now can walk into the future. When you do die, you will go into eternal life with him. And so life isn't the end. There's no need to hoard. There's no need, folks, to try to do everything in this life. As if in some way, if you, you don't grab hold of every experience and you don't use your checkbook to get everything, you're going to just miss it and you're going to have to oh, go forever and never get it. And You know, I, have to, I shared this at first service. I said, you know, one of my dreams would be to have a home, a mansion on a lake, like Lake Minnetonka. But you know what's really interesting about that? If I was to do that, I'd have to rearrange a lot of my life. I'd have to do a whole lot of things I don't feel called in my life to do in order to get that. And a lot of people do that. You're maybe doing that. And everything in your life is being rearranged because you want this one experience, this one dream. And instead of giving your heart to God and allowing His dreams to flow through you so you know real satisfaction and real peace and real fullness... You've got to grab everything you can because you're just afraid that when the end comes, you won't get it. I've got to tell you, I have put a request in for a lake home, a mansion in heaven. And this life is so temporary that I will be living forever in that one. It's going to be really cool. It'll be better than Lake Minnetonka. No milfoil, no drunk drivers. What are you living for? What are you trying to grab hold of? You've been forgiven by a holy God with grace abundance, generous, 
so that you can begin to understand that you have a future. You don't have to grab it all now. You don't have to do everything to get it now. You have a future that is guaranteed that all that your heart desires will be met in him. And I just I just think about that. And I, there's no need to fear that you'll come to the end and have lost because as the bumper sticker says, you haven't collected the most toys. Believing changes your values today if it's in your heart. And there's something that I'm concerned about in the Christian community today. There is very much a truth that says Jesus will come again. And with this coming, there will be a time and it will be difficult. And, and yet there's this message that today I think is getting sent out there. It's this, what I call this pessimistic peril, message of of paralysis. It talks about the coming out again and, and it, it gives all these messages of doom and gloom. And there's no doubt things are going to get difficult and and people will go through times of trouble. But what I want you to hear is the message we're sending out is a message we send out to our kids and to our young kids. And they don't, it's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is about the hope of God who gives you the power and the ability to live life now so that what you do out of love as God works through you makes a difference in this kingdom. And this kingdom will someday show up in its fullness. And we are only working towards it now that it will someday be transferred into this kingdom. It is not about doing and gloom. There may be difficult times. There may be trials. But God has come, not just for your future, not just to forgive you, but He has come that you might faithfully love and live and serve those whom God has given you with the very things that you have to change this world. And I, uh, I love these words of, of N.T. Wright. We've been forgiven. We have a future. And we can faithfully live it out today. The kingdom is here, present, and what you do today makes a difference. N.T. Wright, in his, his book, Surprised by Hope, rethinking the whole idea of heaven and the resurrection and the mission of the church. He says this, but what, can we, but what we can and must do in the present, if we are obedient to the gospel, if we are following Jesus, if we are indwelt, energized, and directed by the Spirit, is build for the kingdom today. This brings us back to 1 Corinthians 15, 58, where, where Paul says, what you do in the Lord is not in vain. Catch that? What you do today in the Lord is not in vain. It's not meaningless. It's not purposeless. You are not oiling wheels on a machine that's about to roll over a cliff. You are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are, strange though it may seem, Almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself. You are accomplishing something that will become, in the course, part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and the delight of the beauty of His creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, Every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings and for that matter, for one's fellow non-human creatures. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption and makes the name of Jesus honored in all the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation that God will one day make. And that, folks, is the mission of the church. And so, 
I've had some things going on in my life the last few weeks that have made it really difficult to be in sync with what we were even heading to do here on Easter. And I remember I met with the worship team about three weeks ago and I said, let's do something about 1 Corinthians 15, about believing the facts. And I really didn't have opportunities to connect with them much, so we connected about a week and a half ago. And as just before we were going to connect and, and kind of set a course, I get an email from a friend of mine, Terry Esau, early in the morning. He's 4.30 or 5 or so, he's sending me this email. And, and I open it up and I read it, and it's about how God had worked in his heart and life. And as he lays out this stuff... I began to go, wow, that's exactly what I'm talking about Sunday. And I shared that with the team. I sent it over to them. And they said, wow, that's exactly what we're talking about Sunday, this Easter. And so I said, Terry, who's been a friend of mine, and he's written uh, jingles, if you've heard of like the Mall of America one or Care 11. Um, He's done some of those things. And, And so I said, Terry, would you be willing to share what God was doing in your heart at whatever time it was in the morning. First off, let me just say that uh, the idea of me standing here in front of you on church on Easter Sunday morning and telling you my dream. Trust me, that's more weird for me than it is for you. This is not something I do. I'm, I'm kind of a skeptical person by nature, so I don't generally scrounge around looking for deep hidden meanings in all the everyday circumstances of life. And I certainly don't blab about my dreams in public. But just the same, a week ago, I had a dream. It was a Wednesday morning. I woke up at 4.30. And the impact of this dream was such that I went right to my computer and I tried to write down everything as quickly as I could before I forgot it. Now, I've never really had a dream like this before. Um, In the dream, I was writing a worship chorus, composing this worship song. And I have, you know, like Kevin said, I've done a couple of thousand TV commercial songs, but I've never done a worship, written a worship chorus. And I remember the first few lines of this chorus. I don't remember any of the melody, but the first two lines were, I am a voice of mercy. I am a choir of praise. And in my dream, I realized something. I wasn't writing this song for me to sing in church. Somehow I got the feeling I was writing this song for when I arrive in heaven. This was to be my song that I was going to sing to him when I arrived. But then in the dream, all of a sudden, I was in heaven. Uh, Maybe you're like me. My dreams don't always have smooth transitions. So here I am in heaven and I'm singing this song to him. And it was kind of bizarre. I am a voice of mercy. I am a choir of praise. I am a song of forgiveness. I am an orchestra of love. And then something cool happened in my dream. Jesus, who had been sitting, listening to me sing, all of a sudden turned to me and he started singing my song back to me. And as he did it, I realized something. This wasn't really my song. I didn't write this song. This was his song. This was his song, the song that he's been singing to me, to us, 
since the garden. This is the song that he sang to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The song he sang to Moses and David and Daniel. He actually came to earth to sing this song to Mary and Martha and the disciples. He sang it to Zacchaeus, Peter, and he sang it to Judas. He sang it to lepers. He sang it to sinners. He came to teach us this song. This was his song. And in my dream, he sang it to me. I am the voice of mercy. I am the choir of praise. I am the song of forgiveness. I am the orchestra of love. And I remember thinking, this is pretty cool. (laughs) It would be nice to stay here and live in this dream. It was one of those dreams where, you know, you wake up and then you try really hard to fall back asleep because you want to see how it ends. But that's when I realized something else. I wasn't awake. The dream wasn't over yet. I was still in it. And then I understood that I wasn't in heaven singing this song to Jesus either. I was still here on earth. I had only thought I was in heaven. And I got the impression that he was trying to tell me something through this. It's like he was saying to me, I didn't come to earth and die just so you could sing nice songs about me someday. I came so I could sing my songs through you today, right here, right now. I didn't come to earth and die just so you could go to heaven. I died so I could bring a bit of heaven to you right here, right now. I didn't come to die just so you could feel my love. I died so you could become my love here, now. I am the song of forgiveness. I am the orchestra of love. And he went on. He said, I wasn't raised from the dead just so you could live with me someday. I busted out of that grave so we could live together now, today, tomorrow, the next day. I wasn't raised from the dead just so you could spend eternity with me. I want you to spend today with me. I wasn't raised from the dead just so I could come back to life. I was raised to bring you back to life. I wasn't raised from the dead just so you could put on nice clothes and hunt for Easter eggs. I was raised so you could put on a new nature and seek the lost. I was raised so you, one of the lost, could be found. I want to live in you now. I want to sing through you now. I want to love through you now. And that's when I woke up. But this time I didn't want to fall back asleep. I didn't want to go back into the dream because the choir doesn't have to wait for his return to sing this song. We, the church, are the choir right here. Right now, we are the voice of mercy. 
We are the choir of praise. We are the song of forgiveness. We are the orchestra of love. There is love. Every voice will someday sing that out. Every tongue. There is a part for you in that song. You are a part of that choir. If, you have, if you've never dealt with the fact, um, and, and all you need to do is accept the truth, you are forgiven. Just open your heart and, and humble yourself. And for some... The fact is you're going to live forever, so quit chasing stuff that doesn't matter. There is a part for you in this life right now to do something different. And for some of you who've been a part of that choir and you're singing and you're tired, be encouraged. Do not grow weary. God's with you.